0: Hey, creep, I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant, it may not end the way you want it to, but this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is, shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Creeps, today we go back to September 29th, 1978 in Berkeley, California. Mary Vincent stood along the side of the road with her thumb up in the dry heat of the Californian sun. Mary was hitchhiking along others as they stood along the side of the road like a makeshift bus stop. We've all been taught, every single one of us, that you should never hitchhike. Some of you creeps probably have and others like myself are a little more cautious. But back then, whether you did or didn't hitchhike, there was more trust given to one another. A lot of people never thought twice about getting a ride from a complete stranger. Mary Vincent was planning on hitching a ride to her grandfather's home in Corona, California, which was a six-hour ride through the Californian hills and orange groves if you were to drive straight through without stopping. As Mary stood there with her thumb out, breathing in the warmth of the late summer Californian sun and the subtle touch of the San Francisco Bay water that floated in on the gentle sea breeze, an older man pulled up in a blue van and beckoned 15-year-old Mary Vincent over. As she jogged over to the vehicle, she told the driver she was trying to make her way to Los Angeles, and after telling her it was out of his way, the driver agreed to drive Mary to LA and motioned her to jump in. But before she could hop in the passenger seat, a few of the other women waiting for rides tugged at Mary's shirt, asking her to stay. The driver seemed off. He didn't seem right at all. She shouldn't go with him. Just stay and wait for a normal ride. But Mary shrugged it off. She was more than capable of taking care of herself. And anyways, the man had seemed nice enough to her. The man driving the blue van who had pulled over for the young hitchhiker Mary was Lawrence Bernard Singleton. Lawrence had been a merchant seaman as a younger man, but now that he was in his early 50s, the echoes of his previous profession sat on his face giving him a worn look. Mary sat in the passenger seat, feeling comfortable, happy to have a ride, taking in the scenery that zoomed past her in a blur, and quickly started falling asleep. It was a long ride, and maybe shutting her eyes would make the ride go by just a little faster, even if it was only a few minutes. But when she awoke, it was clear to her that Lawrence was not following the route that they had agreed upon. She wasn't sure how long she slept, whether it was 10 minutes or an hour, but she knew Lawrence had missed an important turn-off. She started to feel panicked and angry, and insisted Lawrence turn the car around. But Lawrence shrugged. It was an honest mistake, he claimed, as he started to look for a way to turn the vehicle around and correct it. After some backtracking and awkward silence, Lawrence and Mary were once again back on the right path. But now Lawrence had to pull the car over, claiming he had to urinate. The blue van rolled and gave one final lurch as it slowed to a stop. Lawrence and Mary got out to stretch their legs, but Mary's shoelaces were undone as she bent down to tie them back up. But as she bent down to tie her shoes, Larry quickly came up behind her and hit her across the back of the head with a heavy hammer. Lawrence subdued Mary and forced an unknown alcohol into her mouth and down her throat. Lawrence threw Mary back into the vehicle and drove further down into a nearby Californian canyon that resembled somewhere between a Spaghetti Western and the Hills Have Eyes. It was there, further away from any busy road, secluded and remote. He continued his attack. Lawrence placed Mary's hands behind her back, tying them tight together, and then raped 15-year-old Mary Vincent repeatedly. But that wasn't where Lawrence Singleton's brutality ended. Mary had seen his face. She would be able to identify him if he let her go. She now had to die. Mary was broken and worn down. She had endured multiple rapes by her would-be driver. She had been concussed with a hammer across the back of the head. So when Lawrence Singleton laid her out on the side of the road, Mary Vincent wasn't able to give up a reasonable fight, as she watched Lawrence produce a hatchet. Lawrence Singleton, moving with the determination of a man setting himself to a task, as if this were a normal weekend chore walked over to Mary Vincent and started chopping and hacking away at Mary Vincent's arms. The pain and unimaginable shock that Mary Vincent must have endured while still conscious and fully aware of the situation she was in, I imagine must have stripped the entire world away from her. The world would have consisted of nothing but the hacking and tearing she felt in her arms as she was powerless to help herself in this moment. Even writing about it now gives me a sense of surreal out-of-body discomfort, and I hope. I pray that none of us ever have to experience this. Once Lawrence Singleton had finished chopping off both of her arms and disposing of them, he stuffed her in a pipe and rolled her off the shoulder of the road, sending her deep down into the canyon. He knew she would die shortly from the blood loss, and after being rolled off the canyon road, she did lose consciousness, bleeding out from her wounds. Mary Vincent lay deep in a ravine, half stuffed into a pipe, unconscious and bleeding out from her wounds, which were where her arms had previously been. But slowly and miraculously, Mary started to regain consciousness. She had lost both of her arms, was bleeding out, and concussed by the swing of a hammer to the back of the head. She was also thrown down into a canyon, hitting every bump, bush, and tree on the way down, and left almost nude covered in her own blood. But Mary was also unbelievably strong. As she awoke, she knew she needed to fight if she wanted to live. She needed to get out of this situation. When many of us would have given up and stared at the sky, taking in our last moments of life, she decided to climb her way out of the ravine. And that's exactly what she did. She climbed, gasping for breath, winded from the blood loss, and eventually found herself back on the road, which she had been thrown from. She raised her arms, hoping it would save her, and what remained of her arms by keeping them elevated. One car slowed down to see what was happening on the side of the road, but the gory sight of Mary Vincent sped off, perhaps thinking they had taken a wrong turn and found themselves in a horror movie. But thankfully, not everyone in this world is as panic-ridden and heartless, and two women lost and on the wrong road came across Mary Vincent by chance. Slowly staggering down the highway, focusing on placing one foot in front of the other as the skin on the back of her neck began to burn from the sun, those two women stopped and wrapped her in towels to keep her shocked body warm and rushed her to an airport where they could contact emergency help. Mary Vincent was taken to hospital where she was sewn up and thankfully survived. While in hospital, Mary cooperated with investigators in creating a detailed composite sketch of the man, Lawrence Singleton, who had picked her up, tortured her, and raped her, and left Mary for dead. Not long after, and unlike our last case, the Delphi murders, an individual saw the composite sketch and recognized it as their neighbor, Larry. Lawrence Singleton was arrested and promptly put on trial. Six months later, Mary Vincent found herself in court, where she gave a testimony that was pivotal in ensuring Lawrence Singleton was put behind bars. But once again, justice seems to have not been appropriately administered. To anyone's surprise listening to me tell this story, Lawrence Singleton was only sentenced to 14 years in jail. But this time, it isn't the direct result of a judge or a prosecutor or law enforcement agent not doing their job properly like we often see. In fact, the judge said in court, If I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. But the judge wasn't the only one making statements in court. Lawrence Singleton would later admit that he whispered to Mary in court, I'll finish this job if it takes me the rest of my life. Following the sentencing in this publicized case, everyone from the media and the public to Mary Vincent herself were reasonably and justifiably upset. This was justice, but hardly justice that fit the crime. But without these moments in time where the flaws in the justice system are put on public display, the justice system would never go through any effective change but I'll be the first to admit that it still pains me beyond belief to see these changes needing tragedy in the first place. This sentencing and the work done by advocates and Mary Vincent resulted in the passing of the Singleton Bill, which stops the early release of criminals who used torture in their crimes and allows for 25-to-life sentencing. Now, this is where the story should end with a neat and tidy bow where the nightmare can end and we creeps can wake up and see the sunshine that morning brings. But unfortunately, that isn't the case. Mary Vincent faced challenge after challenge as a direct result of what Lawrence Singleton had done to her. Mary suffered not only from physical challenges, but the ordeal had left her with emotional challenges as well. Mary was unable to maintain relationships. Finding a job was overly difficult and taxing for her, and she was unable to perform as a dancer, which had been her life's passion before the attack. But these challenges, like being left for dead in a ravine, were eventually overcome by Mary Vincent and her ability to persevere. She eventually became an accomplished artist and a loving mother of two children. The physical and mental scars never left her, though, but she was able to cope and live with it although they remained every day as a reminder of the nightmare-inducing car ride she'd taken with Lawrence Singleton back in September of 1978. Now, once again, I wish I could just let the story end on a good note, walk off with you into the sunset and sip margaritas talking about the trouble that we should get into next. But that isn't possible. We aren't done yet. I need to tell you the full story, I need to have the vein in the side of your head popping in frustration like mine is right now. Lawrence Singleton only served. And when I say only, I mean if possible, he should be artificially kept alive to serve a hundred times the sentence for the crime. Eight years of the 14-year sentence. Eight years for multiple counts of rape, assault, attempted murder, and torture. When it's all said and done, a year or less for each offense. That's not justice. That's an error by the powers that be that keeps society safe. That's a mistake. Just before Lawrence Singleton was released, his psychiatrist said, because he is so out of touch with his hostility and anger, he remains an elevated threat to others, safely inside and outside prison. Yet, they still released him on parole. After he was released on parole, though, Lawrence found himself unable to settle anywhere as no city or town wanted that breed of monster living amongst their citizens, knowing that he had hurt children before and would do it again. Throngs of people gathered and protested the arrival of Lawrence Singleton, preventing him from relocating to their town, ensuring there was no place for him to move. After multiple attempts to relocate this sub-human degenerate unjustly released back into the world, Lawrence Singleton finally relocated to the grounds of San Quentin to live in a trailer. And then in 1990, Lawrence was allowed to move back to his native state of Florida, where he continued to cause trouble, including a short 60-day stint in prison for two theft convictions. And then on February 19, 1997, in Tampa, Florida, a local painter noticed a horrible scene taking place in a home nearby where he was working. When the painter called 911, he described to dispatchers the horrific scene he'd been witness to. A nude man, drenched in blood, stabbing a nude woman, laying motionless on the couch, over and over again. He could hear the crunch of the blade snapping bones from outside after each stab. The nude man in a frenzy? Well, it was Lawrence Singleton. The victim was Roxanne Hayes, a 31-year-old mother of three, who had agreed to meet Larry for $20 in exchange for sexual acts, doing what she could to feed her children. Larry later told investigators that she took more than the agreed-upon $20 from his wallet, and at that moment a struggle ensued. She had grabbed a knife, which he wrestled from her, and she ended up stabbed multiple times. I don't need to tell you clever and curious creeps. This was an absolute bold-faced and delusional lie. Shortly after... As we've seen in multiple episodes, Lawrence Singleton, being the coward he was born to be, tried to kill himself but was unsuccessful in the attempt this time. He was then housed in a psychiatric hospital ahead of his trial. To testify on behalf of Roxanne, who was deceased, Mary Vincent then flew from California to Florida to do what she could to make sure this monster was kept safely away from society so that this would never happen again. During her testimony, she went into great detail why she thought Singleton should be given the death sentence. And after four hours of deliberation, on April 15, 1998, Lawrence Singleton was found guilty and given the death penalty for the murder of Roxanne Hayes. Judge Anderson passed down the sentence saying, This was an unprovoked, senseless killing of a human being. We are living in times worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. On December 28th, 2001, while awaiting his death sentence at the age of 74, Lawrence Singleton died from cancer. Since his death, investigators have loosely linked Lawrence Singleton to as many as a dozen other murders. Now, that's the end of the story. But before you go, before you tune into whatever podcast you have queued up next, I want to announce our brand new website, It's young and it's fresh, and it isn't quite fully fleshed out yet. But please make sure to visit talesbycole.com and give it a bookmark. Set it as your homepage, even. Because we will be releasing all the episode transcripts if perhaps you are hard of hearing or just not in the mood to listen to me tell you the story myself. We will also have some pretty cool merch for you creeps coming soon, as well as featuring other content creators, whether that be audio... Articles or video. I want this to really become bigger than the podcast itself. Alongside the website, we are releasing our brand new Patreon page as well, which can be found on the website, or you can find by going to Patreon.com/slash tales by Cole. For Patreons generous enough to donate $5 or more to the Tales by Cole True Crime podcast, I will be releasing a brand new spin-off podcast released in seasons called Nine One One Calls with Cole. And if you don't have five dollars to spend, don't worry. At the end of each season, I will be releasing nine one one calls with Cole weekly for free. You'll just have to wait a while. Now, before we roll the outro, here is a sneak peek of nine one one calls with Cole. Nine one one. Nine one one. Nine one one. Address of the emergency. Where is your emergency. Where's your emergency? Where's your emergency? Hey creeps. Welcome to 911 Calls with Cole. Each episode we will listen to a 911 call and explore the stories and crimes surrounding them. Now, before we get started, check the front door. Is it locked? Okay, good. Now you can relax. Sit back as I tell you about the grinder cannibal. So creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, and production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door.